It is a good morning to be a Duke fan. Hey there, everybody. I am Jason Evans. Welcome to episode, I don't remember the number, I think 496, something like that. <laughs> We're up there. We're up there a lot. <laughs> we are a up lot. there. Uh, of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I'm joined by Donald Wine. It is the morning after uh, Duke completed a sweep of the regular season series with the UNC Tar Heels, concluded our regular season, and has clinched a double bye in the ACC tournament. Lots of good stuff to talk about. We regret that Sam Klein cannot be with us this morning. Sam was partying into the night at his at the wedding he was attending He's been chatting a lot with me and Donald, but he unfortunately is not in a condition <laughs> to appear in this podcast this morning. So, Donald, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. It was a great, great night. It's been a great morning. Jason, uh, people can't see this, but you're backlit because the sun is just shining. It's just beaming on you. It's like it's like it's like it's like everything is aligned. I don't know what the lottery was last night, but I'm sure one of us won. That's how good a day it's been. I love it. I love it. That is absolutely true, my friend. All right. So let's get to talking about this victory by the Blue Devils uh, over UNC. Duke wins it 62 to 57, almost identical to the score of the previous game. Donald, you noted when we were previewing this contest that Duke wins low scoring games in the Duke UNC battle that when it when the score isn't very high, Duke tends to come out on top. Talk more about that really quickly before we get to the headlines or anything like that, because it was a great stat for folks who didn't hear it. And, and it held true last night. Yeah, it actually, you know what, Jason, we have some audio from the press conference last night with John Shire because I asked, I got to ask him a question about that. But to set folks up before the game, uh, actually after the game in, a month ago, I mentioned that that game was the third fewest combined points in the history of a Duke UNC game, like th third lowest. And this in, game included by one point. In, I'd say including the games where Carolina went to the four quarters. <laughs> right, right. I mean, in the history of Duke UNC, hundreds of games, that was the third fewest. It was eclipsed last night by this game by one point. And if you look over the course of the history, I will say we used to say 10. Now we can say the top 11. The top 11 games were of the fewest combined points between teams. Duke is 11 and 0 in those games. So uh, it's one of those things where every single time it's a grinded it out affair, it feels like Duke comes out on top. And I got to ask John Shire about this. At the press conference last night, he kind of chuckled when I brought up the stat um, because, of course, he doesn't like, you know, having low scoring games. I don't think any coach really does. Uh, but when I asked him about the confidence it shows in his team that a team can like his, a young team in this rivalry can go out and grind on to victory. Here's what he said. John, you've talked about, you know, 63, 57, 62, 57. Those are the lowest combined scores in a while. But you guys have grinded it out. How does it feel, how, how confident are these guys in the locker room that in this rivalry, they're able to grind out a win like that? Yeah, it's, it's kind of what we had to do for the, for the most, for most games this year. And there's a lot to learn from, and we've had some games where our offense is clicking. Uh, tonight wasn't the case. We've been, I think both them and us, our defense has been ahead of our offense. Um, they've been top three in our league in defense, you know, the whole ACC season. We've been right there the whole year as well. And it's going to be games like this. I told our team, I think it was great preparation for what we're going to see next week in the ACC tournament. It's going to be great preparation for what you see in the NCAA tournament where, you know, what do we have? Fast break points, four. And we held them to nine, which is good. They had nine in the first half. And that's what it comes down to. Rebound, takeaway transition, and grind it out. 
And uh, again, I'm okay not grinding it out too. If we're hitting <laughs> jumpers better and scoring easier, but that's uh, it's not always going to happen. So yeah, Jason, I mean, it, it's one of those things where, of course, like I said, he, he kind of chuckled. He doesn't like these low-scoring affairs. He wants guys to shoot better. But on a night where we had key guys not shooting the ball very well, we also had those same guys step up in other ways. And even we had adversity in the form of foul trouble, these guys came up with big plays and big moments, and I know we're going to talk about a lot of them. All right, so uh, by the way, I love the fact that you were in attendance and got to chat with with John Shire, and we're gonna we're gonna get to more of your observations from being uh, in in the Dean Dome for for this game. But before we do any of that, let, let's get back on course with what, how we usually handle these things. Let's get to our headlines, and as usual, the inbox at dbrpodcast at gmail.com blew up the moment the game oh. ended. Oh, just you know, a torrent of of suggestions for headlines from the listeners. We love it when we get these. There are several, I, you know, let me, Donald, I know you had one that you liked best. I have several that I that I picked out from the the 20 plus that we've gotten this morning. So give me yours first and then then I'll read some from the rest of the listeners. Yeah, I, I, want, I want you to get to yours, but the one I had that I thought was especially poignant, there was a lot of talk about NITs, a lot of talk about go to hell Carolinas, you know, all those are all fun and always great. But this one I thought was a, a nice take on a Duke spin. It was from Chris Bynum and he goes, how sweet it is. Blue Devils take down heels and regular season finale. It was very sweet. It was a sweet. It was all those things. And to do it in Chapel Hill. Also, I'm pretty sure John Shire, the first coach in several decades to win his first two games in the Duke UNC series. So congratulations, John Shire. Congratulations to the staff. But yes, it is a regular season sweep of the Tar Heels. I love it. I love it. Okay, so here's some of the other ones that I saw that I really enjoyed. Courtney Kruger gave us Duke Waves double buys to heels, referencing the fact that the Blue Devils uh, have earned a double buy in the ACC tournament. Nate Damon, wow. Nate. And and we beat them twice, so we, we waved by to them twice. That's true. Yeah, exactly. You're right. Thank you for, for the extra elucidation there about what Courtney was writing. Uh, <laughs> Nate chimes in with preseason number one, Tournament hopes none. The Tar Heels uh, most assuredly not in good shape for an NCAA tournament bid. Uh, Will Kaberg, I hope I'm getting that right, uh, had the same kind of theme. He said, Duke flips Carolina right off the bubble. Um, uh, yeah, if you're UNC, you're you're probably looking at needing to win at least three games in the ACC tournament at this point. Wilco from the DBR boards. Wilco, I loved it. He says, Duke wins in Chapel Hill on senior night. And it should be noted that he spells night N-I-T-E, and he capitalized the N-I-T, Wilco. That's well done. And then I wanted to shout out, I thought this was great. Matt Newell Ching wrote to us. He said, I don't have a headline, but the photo underneath the headline is this. And he sent us a, <laughs> that picture of Mark Mitchell waving goodbye. If you were, um, Donald, I'm not sure if you could see this, but on the... On I the, saw I saw the replay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, on the ESPN broadcast, the way they closed out the ESPN broadcast was a shot of Mark Mitchell walking off the floor, waving goodbye to the Carolina fans. Oh, oh, that was delicious stuff. So those were the headlines. Really, really good stuff. Donald, let, let's, let's get right to the good from this game. There was plenty of it. Go ahead and get me started. What In the house, what did you see that you liked best among the good? Well, I, I have to start off by saying that this is a sidebar. Uh, yesterday for breakfast, uh, for brunch, actually, I went to Dame's Chicken and Waffles. If you've not been to Dame's Chicken and Waffles at Durham, do it. 
it's it's absolutely fantastic. But while I was there with my cousin having a nice brunch, Emil Jefferson was there. So I already knew the day was getting started well because he was getting his chicken and waffles and he was and he was having good breakfast. But let's get dude, yeah. dude by the way, I've uh I, I'm from Atlanta, so I've I've eaten at the now defunct, unfortunately, Gladys Knight chicken and waffles. Oh, I've been I've been I've been to G Knights. Yeah, that was oh, oh my gosh. The 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 they used to have one here. They used to have one in DC too. Um, I used to. I had both. I've done both of them. The incredible thing was the wings were apparently from some kind of mutant chickens that were like three times the size of a regular chicken. I don't know how they did it. That was unbelievable. I'm so. I was so sad. They closed it down a couple years ago, uh, or a year or so ago because of COVID. I think I've I've Mm -hmm. wanted to go back many times. Unfortunately, good to know that uh, that uh, Durham has as a good chicken and waffles place. Chicken and waffles, outstanding. Yes, Um, but let's get to the game. I, I think. Honestly, I want to skip to the end because I think there's a lot of things that happen in the end that over the course of these last three weeks, we can kind of complete a whole picture, right? We went on a 6-0 run over the final 138. UNC did not get a field goal the last 420. We forced six steals. And over the course of the past three weeks, Jason, as you noted before this game, if we'd won this game last night, the team has now won six in a row. And... The thing about it that's most impressive is that we've probably seen literally every scenario that could possibly take place in the ACC tournament, in the NCAA tournament, from keeping a lead and trying to hold on to it, to coming from behind, to, again, a close game, tight game, where we have to make a play, where we have to get a defensive stop, where we have to make free throws to ice it. We've literally had all of these scenarios play out over the last three weeks, and we've had blowouts. Um, You know, we've had games where it was we were running away. I think this is the fact that they've emerged victorious from all this, I think is the most impressive because it is very easy for a team that two months ago we were calling way too young to have to experience this and maybe come out with a couple of losses. But if you think about it, this team won six in a row. They have a double bye. They are at this point, probably the best team playing right now in the ACC. Yeah. There's a little question about that. Little question. Yeah. Yeah. And and at the end of the day, like I mentioned, they're, they're, they didn't shoot well, but they still found a way to win. There's a lot of guys that, you know, I think came up clutch in the big minutes. I want to start we'll we'll start with we'll start with this guy, Mark Mitchell. In the press conference last night, John Shire said that he made the two best plays of the season with those two late rebounds that he had in the final couple minutes oh, of the man, game. In traffic. Those were not, I mean, those were big boy rebounds. He put on big boy pants yesterday for sure. Yeah. Yeah. He said they were man rebounds and they were, and and they were, I I think there was a lot of those plays. Derek Lively had a couple late when he had four fouls where again, he was in traffic and getting in the ball. He had a block in the last few minutes of the game where again, someone tried to go right out of the forces fifth foul and he was able to jump straight up and withstand that pressure. And I, I think there was just a lot of defensive plays. And when we needed defensive stops, Duke got one every single time, and it wasn't where it wasn't where UNC felt like they had the the momentum on their side, and they did at some points during the game. Duke said, "Hey, I don't care whose house this is, but you're not getting this basket." And I mean, just the final play of the game, they forcedly I think it was Leaky Black or someone to force a long three that was had three was guys. Caleb Love, Caleb Love took a yeah. terrible three pointer. Yeah, yeah, but he had like three guys in his face, and then Derek Lively gets the rebound, throws it down to. Kyle Filipowski, and I'm telling you, Jason, the the gym was loud at, for many points of the game, but it was also loud at that point. But it was the Duke fans that were celebrating as Kyle Filipowski gets that ball and pseudo dunks it and slash lays it in 
for the game's final points. Everyone in that gym that was wearing pale blue, they were like, good night, time to go home. Uh, it was a very quick exodus from the Dean Dome because of that. Yeah, I will tell you. So you mostly talked about defense there, defense and the big men. And and defense was where I wanted to start this conversation because I, I thought that Duke was just outstanding at times defending Carolina, not allowing Carolina to do what it wanted to do, contesting everything, playing really smart defense. Like I thought Duke did a great job of identifying, okay, here are the players we need to worry about. Here are the players we can help off of. You know, here are the guys that we need to pay extra attention to. And uh, to me, it started with Derek Lively. He only played less than 17 minutes, but his plus minus was plus nine in this game. Led the team. Basically, Duke wins this game because when Derek Lively was on the floor, we were significantly better than UNC. And that's because of his defense. Uh, he had three blocks. But you can't even count how many times his intimidation, his presence forced Carolina to take bad shots. They were they were short arming stuff in the lane. They were nervous every time they approached approached the basket. I think a lot of it was uh, post traumatic stress disorder from him getting eight blocks against Carolina in the <laughs> first game. Uh, I, I absolutely think that they were thinking about that this entire time. I, they they were looking over their shoulder. They were peeking everywhere to see where Derek Lively was. And it caused Carolina to keep on missing shots that, frankly, they usually make. And then the other thing that I thought was impressive about the Duke defense was the job we did on the perimeter. And, and, and uh, yeah, R.J. Davis had a really nice game. And I know Tyrese Proctor has taken it upon himself to, to take the best, uh, best perimeter player as his defensive assignment. And, and R.J. Davis did fairly well against Tyrese Proctor. But we got to shout out Jeremy Roach in this game, who just made Caleb Love look bad again and again and again. And then the other one is, frankly, Mark Mitchell and Kyle Filipowski. Because the past couple games, we talked about this in the preview, UNC has been hitting almost 50% of their three-pointers. And that was because of Pete Nance and Leaky Black. Those two guys have been surging lately. And they each one of them had atrocious games. And that was Mark Mitchell and Kyle Filipowski really shutting them down. Pete Nance, 7 of 10 on three-pointers over his last two games, averaging better sixteen, better than 16 points per game in his past three games. He gets three points against Duke. He gets just... And it was and it was one shot that he made at the end, <clears throat> like towards the end of the game, like, I mean, with like three minutes left, it was the game was still in doubt. But Jason, he, he had some terrible looks. Like, I mean, he airballed yeah. one. Uh, Leaky Black... It was three for sixteen. It felt like it felt like the team was basically like, "Yo, if Leaky Black wants to shoot, he can shoot." But every time Leaky Black shot it, and, and I, I go back and just look at some of this tape, he had a couple of wide open looks that he missed. He had one that he made, but all the other shots that he took were basically him twenty five feet away from the basket, back to the basket. He turn around, see two Duke guys in front of him, and he'd go, "I'm going to shoot it anyway. What are they going to do? Alter the shot?" Yeah, we all alter the shot. That's what happened. And so he had some very bad looks and it led to a lot of long rebounds. We did a great job to, you know, rebounding. I think it was a it was actually a, a, a dead heat. Both teams had 10 offensive rebounds and 29 defensive rebounds, but a lot of those were generating second or generating fast break points and generating like going down the other end and taking time off the clock, which is what Duke did tremendously when they forced Leaky Black to take shots. Yeah, so it, like I said, to me, the, the difference in the game was that Duke uh, Duke completely befuddled 
Pete Nance and Leaky Black, which allowed them to double team Armando Baycott. Uh, and, and by the way, it was mostly Kyle Filipowski doing that double teaming. Uh, and, and I think he did a real good job of, of assessing when he could make those double team decisions. Uh, it allowed us to to focus and shift our defense toward the driving lanes that RJ Davis and Caleb Love were trying to create for themselves. You know, Carolina essentially for most of this game was playing three on five on offense because, because Leaky Black and Pete Nance weren't going to do anything. I mean, Leaky Black goes one for seven on three pointers. And a lot of those were just wide open. We had to leave him open and we were like, okay, if you can beat us, go for it. And in his last game in Chapel Hill, Leaky Black could not get it done at all. I mean, that's the peril of having a guy on your team who's basically useless on offense. So I, I, I just felt Duke's team defense was absolutely incredible in this game. And and it's look, we held Carolina less than 60 points. And they're not again. A, yeah, again, right. They're not a super prolific team. But anytime you hold your opponent to less than 60, I remember with about four minutes left, I was texting with some friends and I, I said, first one to 60 wins this game. And like a minute or two later, I said, assuming anyone gets to 60. <laughs> and, yeah. And Jason, when we played, when we played Illinois, uh, Virginia, we had that same thing. Hey, first to 60 wins. We lost that game. Virginia got to 60. I think it was what 60, 69, 63 or something like that was the final score, whatever that was. But it was just barely over 60. And it was like, hey, first one of 60 wins. Those guys learned from that again. I know they had just done it the week before against UNC, but they learned through that again. And they were able to pressure through and just, again, when they need to get stops, they got stops. But real quickly, Jason, I just want to single out Ryan Young because I thought that his plus minus says minus seven. I'm not looking at that because I think the time that he was a game, he was asked to do a lot when Derek Lively went out of the game. He even had to operate from the bench as well. We had two fouls. So him and Cal Filipowski, there was a point where Cal Filipowski was the only guy above six, eight on the floor. Like he was, he was responsible for Armando Baycott. He was responsible, uh, you know, also like helping with, with Pete Nance, whenever they thought he was going to shoot the ball, but Ryan Young held his own. And John Shire mentioned that Ryan Young holding his own in the paint kind of by himself a little bit for a while after Derek Lively went out with the extended minutes that he got, kept us in the game and it kept us where again when Derek Lively did come back we were still in a position to make something happen and win the game so uh, I know statistically it looks like it wasn't his best game and it wasn't from a shooting perspective he only had two points but he had six rebounds and again those extended minutes we've seen him do this thing in maybe like seven eight nine minutes he had to play 19 minutes and I think that the ability to keep UNC in front of him and to keep it where he can kind of hold the boat until everyone got back for the final stretch, I thought was amazing. So I want to give him credit for that. Yeah. And I'll, I'll put another guy alongside him, which is Dariq Whitehead. Now, both those guys struggled on offense and I, I'm going to, I'm going to mention Dariq when we get to the bad at some point, but I do want to shout out one thing. I, I thought they both played very good defense. I thought they both rebounded really nicely. Uh, the, those two guys combined for 10 rebounds. Uh, you know, for Duke to get that kind of rebounding production off our bench, rebounds were huge, were key in this game. There are a number, you already mentioned the, the, the big rebounds by Mark Mitchell. Getting rebounds from guys that you didn't necessarily expect to get rebounds from, getting rebounds from some, someone who's just a super hard worker like Ryan Young, that's a huge part of, of allowing this game to, to stay, you know, workable in a game where everybody's struggling to score. 
And and I thought those guys did a really, really nice job on the boards. Everybody did a nice job on the boards. And we're going to talk about rebounds. <laughs> we got to talk about Kyle Filipowski. <laughs> yeah, 13 boards in this game. D- dude is like a Hoover vacuum. If the board, if the rebound is anywhere near him, he tends to get it. Uh, he uses his size. He uh, Let's be honest. He's not the strongest guy considering how big he is. But like another year in the weight room. And I don't even want to dream of of what Kowalowski can be, but he he does use his bulk to you know to get other guys out of the way, and and he he's just he's absolutely no question about it, an elite rebounder. Twenty two points, thirteen rebounds as a freshman in Chapel Hill. I mean, it's got to go down as one of the great freshman performances in this rivalry, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. And Jason is funny. In the first half, we were talking about how he wasn't shooting well at all. I think he was what like like three for nine or something like that from the floor in the first half. But all three of those Yo, keep talking. I'll look at I'll look up the number. Hold on. You you keep yeah, talking. Yeah, but all three of all three of it, all three of his baskets were and ones. And all of them came off of his own miss. So like he would go, he'd go to the rack, he'd miss the shot, he'd get his own rebound and put it back up and put it in and draw the contact and then make the free throws. He made a lot of free throws down the stretch. He also made free throws in the first half. Yeah, you were absolutely right. He was three for nine in the first half and three for three at the free throw line. <laughs> yes. Everyone yeah. was at and one and every one of those was crucial because again, it was uh, second chance points. It was, it, it, he's very good at, you, you said he's not strong, but I think he shows strength in a way, right? Because it takes something to go to the rack, miss a shot, and still be in a position to grab your own rebound and do something with it. We've had guys in the past who we talked about the second jump where, like, you know, Marvin Bagley would, you know, as soon as the ball was up in the air, it felt like he jumped higher the second time to grab it and, like, power at home. Yeah, He had, I thought, Cal was great at getting to the rack. But if he missed the shot, he's always in a position to box out whoever it was to make sure that, hey, if this ball goes off the rim, I'm the only one that's coming down with it. In the second half, it was on defense where he, like you said, like Mark Mitchell, like Derek Lively, there was a lot of in-traffic rebounds where all of a sudden it there was a pile of guys and, and Cal Filipowski emerged with the basketball. And I, I thought he did great in that regard. Now, there's things, obviously, that I thought he he didn't do well in the 22 and 13 uh, came at, at a cost of efficiency, right? But I thought he was he, he where he struggled, he made up for it with his poise, with his strength, and also just with his ability to say, I'm getting these points whether you like it or not. I'm getting this rebound whether you like it or not. And at the end of the day, he made some clutch free throws down the stretch. And those three free throws were the ones that ended it, you know, helped us in the game. Uh, so here's the thing about Flip that I'm gonna say. He's the best player who makes me want to scratch my eyes out. <laughs> there, there, there are moments. Dude has just some terrible turnovers. He, 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 he at times is a very weak finisher. You're right. He, t- he gets a lot of you know second chance rebounds off of those weak finishes. But he is a weak finisher in traffic. Uh, he, he has poor shot selection at times. Uh, there's probably uh, I guess like in the first maybe five seven minutes of this game, I think he had three turnovers. Uh, it's just, oh, I was like, this is just horrible. And then he has those moments where it clicks. Like he had a, there was a stretch in the second half, like a two or three minute stretch where we were feeding him in the post. He was putting multiple moves on Pete Nance and Leaky Black and just scoring with ease. Uh, you know, he had the huge, the huge three pointer 
with just under seven minutes left to give us back the lead. I mean, this is a guy he's missed all his three pointers until that moment. Duke is struggling mm-hmm. to hit from outside. He's like, Nope, I'm open. I'm taking this shot. It was a rainbow. I mean, that thing almost touched the top of the Dean dome. <laughs> There's those are the frustrating moments, right? Where you're like, why are you keep taking these threes? Go to the hole, do like, do what you do best. And then he hits that when you're like, keep shooting, keep shooting the three. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, he's such, he's such a juxtaposition. Like, he was draining free throws throughout the second half, and then he got a one and one, and he missed the front end. And you're like, yeah. oh, you're like, man, dude, you can't be doing. But he, he was he was clutch, and the biggest stat from this game. I know. Look, twenty two and thirteen is huge numbers. I'm going to give you the biggest stat from this game for Kyle Filipowski. He drew seven fouls on uh-huh. the opposition. Dude was getting inside, frustrating Carolina, and getting to the free throw line. And look. He's got to get more lift when he's around the basket. Uh, you know, he's got to he's got to learn how to finish better in the lane. He's got to h- cut down on the ridiculous turnovers. But he's a great player. He's going to win ACC Rookie of the Year. At the end of the game, Jay Billis was like, "I think Kyle Filipowski cemented ACC Rookie of the Year." I was like, uh, "Jay, he, he had cemented, cemented that AC- a month ago. <laughs> he cemented ACC Rookie of the Year back in January, my friend." Um, I think he's probably going to be first team All ACC. He certainly deserves to be first team All ACC. And dear Lord, I think, I think there's a decent chance he returns for his sophomore season because he's, he's just not ready for the NBA yet. And a second year from this dude could be like, just absolutely sick. Like I said, flips the guy who makes me want to tear my, my eyeballs out, but he's also, he's an incredible, incredible player. He can lead this team to some pretty great places. Forget, uh, forget the NBA next year, forget next year in general. I'm, 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 really excited about a Cal Filipowski that can be a terror on folks in the ACC tournament and in the NCAA tournament. If, if, you know, we get a good draw, Cal Filipowski can have some outstanding mismatches against people where he can expose them. And people, I, I think there's a point now where, yeah, the ACC has been like, yeah, Cal Filipowski is really good. I think the rest of the nation is about to learn how good Cal Filipowski can be over the next couple of weeks. So I'm really looking forward to that. All right, we're about to get done with the good, but before we do, I do want to mention one last thing. I thought that this Duke team, a team that is very, very young, uh, you know, I, I know it's late in the year, but still, this is a team who we've talked about, you know, they've, they've struggled to close out games. It's been one of the biggest problems they've had this year. I thought they were played exceptionally calm in that second half, especially in like the final 10 minutes or so. With 10 minutes to go in the half, Duke had six fouls, and I was like, Carolina is going to spend this entire game at the free throw line. The second half, the final the, down the stretch, they're just going to be drawing fouls. They're going to get into the bonus. They're going to get into the double bonus, and we're going to be struggling to score, and they're going to be sitting at the free throw line. Well, like I said, Duke had six team fouls with 10 minutes left in the second half. They didn't pick up the seventh till like was like two minutes left in the game or something like that. They, in, Speaking of free throws, I thought Duke was incredibly clutch on their free throws for the most part down the stretch in a game where we were struggling to score. We were getting points at the free throw line. This was a, a, a game where Duke committed some early turnovers. We only had two turnovers the entire second half. We talked at length, Donald. Turnovers are a huge, huge key for this team. And not committing turnovers, you know, I, I think I, I'd have to go back and look. I, I'm I'm almost certain this team's undefeated when they can commit less than 10 turnovers in a game. I can't imagine that we've lost any games where we committed less than ter- 10 turnovers. And in this game, to only have two in the second half, I-, I just thought the team displayed a lot of calm 
And Carolina, a team full of seniors, fourth and fifth year players, I thought there were times where Carolina looked like they were panicking way more than Duke did. Yeah, it's uh, the way they closed out this game. I- I'm looking at Kim Palm, and, and Kim Palm, you know, as everyone knows, is one of our favorite places to go for stats and metrics, stuff like that. And it says that Duke is the 292nd young oldest team in D1 with an average D1 experience of 1.36 years. Uh, I think for the first time, Ken Palm is lying um, because that team last night was about 76 years old. Like that team grew up before our eyes last night and over the past few weeks, we've seen it, but I think they graduated to senior citizen status with that game last night, because the way that they got that done was, was typical of what veteran teams do not freshman laden teams. And I think that is a big step for this team as they move towards the ACC tournament in the postseason. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we got to talk a little bit about what didn't go right in this game. We will have that in just a moment. All right, we're back from the break. And Donald, before we get to the bad, I do want to, this doesn't qualify as good or bad or a headline, but I want to throw this in. I want to talk a little bit about some of the decisions made by Hubert Davis in this game. So first of all, we we, we talked in the preview. I was like, hey, I wonder if Justin McCoy is going to get a start. Well, he did. I, I didn't know that Jackson Watkins would get a start. <laughs> hey, he started everyone, which is cool. But I, as I noted on Twitter last night, he played him for a, you know, a, a grand total of 46 seconds before yeah. he was done with that. And I'm like, yo, if you're going to do senior night, like, okay, play him a couple minutes, but like 46 seconds, you might as well have not played him. Like I'm, I'm looking at the box score and I don't even think they were recorded as a minute. It's like the zero plus, like that's what it would look like on an NBA yeah. score line is, is the zero plus because they didn't even get to a full minute. Like give those guys a, you know, a couple minutes. If you're, if you're really going to do it, be about it. Right. Um, And I think, when people look at the stats from this game and they see the bench points are skewed in favor of UNC, that's right. why, because RJ Davis and, and was it Kale Love um, yeah. were, were not in the starting lineup. And obviously they're two of the guys that get the bulk of, you know, of UNC's points. So I, I, I don't need to worry about that part of it, the skewing part, but yeah, I, I, I found it interesting that he started them and then was just like, basically gave them, a possession and it was like all right sub these kids out and let's go with the big boys because at that point what do you like what are you giving them you're not really giving them anything yeah and 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 it was somewhat indicative of the fact that hubert to me was looking for combinations this whole game he had seven different players seven different guys play between one and seven minutes Uh, you know he kept on sort of shuffling in the the seth trimble trimbles and the DeMarco Styles and and Justin McCoys and all these different guys like, okay, well, maybe you can make it work. Maybe you can make it work. And they just couldn't make it work. And these guys are mostly playing for uh, for Pete Nance. Uh, they, there was also a little bit of it when um, when when uh, Armando Baycott was out of the game. By the way, another thing about Hubert that I found absolutely mystifying. So Armando Baycott is sitting at the scores table waiting to come back into this game. They needed him in the contest. And... Play just kept on going on and Baycott couldn't get back in because there was no dead ball. And I think he sat there. I think it was three plus minutes. This, this was a big point in the second half. And Hubert was holding on to his timeouts. Look, he learned this from Roy. 
you know, the joke goes that he's able to exchange those unused timeouts at, at McDonald's for a cheeseburger the day after the game. You know, Hubert held on to those timeouts when he could have used one to get Armando Baycott back into the game. And by the way, there was a moment where Duke wanted to get Derek Lively back in the game. And John Shire was like, yeah, I'm calling a timeout because I'm getting li Lively needs to be in right now. And I love that John Shire was decisive about that and said, I am using this timeout for a good reason. While Hubert sat there, hung on to his timeouts and watched the game continue to progress without his best big man being in there. I thought it was a mistake on Hubert's part and, uh, you know, was one of several ways that I felt John Shire outcoached him in this contest. Jason, I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure there was a point in the game where Seth Tremble, Jalen Washington, and Tyler Nickel were in the game together. Yeah. And, oh, and I I'm like, everyone's yeah. like, everyone on Media Row, everyone was like, what is going on here with with uh, with UB here? What is this combination? I will tell you, Jason, I stayed for Hubert Davis's press conference afterwards. That yeah, man talk about that. You you sent me a text message about that. Talk about that, that man. That man was that man was pissed. He also looked like a guy who had run out of ideas on what to do. Um, he got pissed when people. I mean, he usually people they open up with like some sort of opening statement like hey congratulations to the other team here's here's what i thought we did well here's what we need to improve on and then they ask for questions there was no opening statement by by hubert davis he just kind of sat there uh, again like a guy who was just who was just fresh tapped out like he was done and the first question was like so you're not making the ncaa tournament with this one like what like what do you tell your boys and he's just like i i don't know man like i like he got he got heated there was a couple of of exchanges where he was very short with people um in in not necessarily in a in a combative way but it was more like a hey I'm not answering that question but it was clear that he was upset at the fact that I guess for a week he had been talking about the things that they need to do to execute to win and when it came down to it his team just didn't do it they they knew what they had to do and they were in a position to do it and they just didn't execute the way that they know that they're supposed to and he just felt like it just felt like a guy who was resigned to the fact that this team was just not gonna you know be what he thought it was going to be and i'm sitting in the back like yo man we we've we learned that you know back in early november when you guys lost four in a row and dropped out of the out of the thing out of the you know preseason or the top 25 like this team just for some reason there was just things that didn't get done and and john shire talked about in the last of the NC state game on Tuesday that he felt like he was out coached. He felt like he was like, Hey, especially that last moment, he said, but the whole game I was out coached by Kevin Keats. Hubert Davis was, was just lapped by John Shire in several instances from a coaching perspective. This game, I think is a very big change for John Shire, but also for Hubert Davis. These are the games that he knows that you have to win. And for some reason, his team didn't show up on clutch time and neither did he. Yeah. You know, uh, the thing I wonder about Carolina, and I don't want to, we got to get to the bad from this game. And, and, you know, we're talking about things that are sort of bigger macro issues. But but I, I feel like North Carolina and their fans, you know, bought into a little bit of fool's gold perhaps last season. That, that they had they had a magical month, you know, maybe it was six weeks or so, where they really played great basketball. And, you know, tip of the hat to them. They beat Duke at Duke. They beat Duke in the Final Four. That, that those six weeks that they had were really, really special. But outside of that, this entire season and the first two-thirds, three-quarters of last season, 
This has been a very mediocre UNC team. This has been a UNC team that is not good enough to make the NCAA tournament. Let's be clear, before they went on their run last year, they were looking at the NIT. This year, they're cl- unless something magical happens for them, unless they make a run to the ACC finals, I think, they're looking at the NIT this year. Well, maybe that's who they really are. You know, I think there were a lot of people who fooled themselves into thinking this Carolina team was what they were over those over that final month and not what they were the previous three months and what they've been the entirety of this season. So anyway, all right, we, we know all that. We've discussed it before. Let's get to the bad from this game. Donald, start me off. You're you're in the house. What do you see that you think needs to be referenced here that didn't work for Duke? It was the ball movement. And I think in the first half, especially, I think in the second half, Tyrus Proctor was great at getting guys involved. And in, I won't say great. He was he was great from this adequate, a- adequate, yeah, merely adequate ball movement would have been nice this game. <laughs> yeah. And he and he found a couple of guys in the second half uh, for for buckets. But in the first half, we only had one assist. Jason, we, we normally are assisting on 65, 70, sometimes 80 percent of all of our made baskets. We assisted on one basket in the first half. We assisted on four the entire game, four out of 22. That's not great. And couple that with NC State, I'm pretty sure we only had seven assists against NC State. This hasn't been a good week for ball movement, and I think that's the one thing that has been where we've been successful the entire season. We need to get back to that part. And I I think that is – it's coupled with the fact that we just didn't shoot well. I mean, we overcame it, but we had some terrible scoring ruts the entire game. We, I mean, it'd be like we'd have a scoring rut, we'd break it with a basket, and then we'd immediately go in another scoring drought, break that with a free throw, go in another scoring drought. It just, it was just a game where our, our we did not score in bunches. There wasn't a lot of moments where we had two, three, four possessions where we were able to get points out of it. It was one here and there. And we were able to hold off UNC with defense, but I think it's the scoring is going to need to pick up because as you get towards the NCAA tournament, you can't be winning games with 60 points. There's just not going to be a lot of games in the NCAA tournament. You're going to win by only scoring 62 points. We need to be getting back to where we were scoring in the seventies, closer to 80, because those are the games that are going to be, those are the, you know, that's what's going to help us. But yeah, I don't know what to, what to say other than that's been our Achilles heel all season has been, one of them has been shooting and we just didn't shoot well last night. We were just able to overcome it. Yeah. I'm glad you touched on the ball movement because I thought it was very, it was very weak. Carolina played good defense. I want to give them credit where credit is due, but at the same time, Duke was just doing a lot of dribble handoffs. We've done a lot of dribble handoffs all season long. I don't know that those accomplish all that much. Uh, we, we struggled to get the ball. Um, our guards at least struggled to get the ball in the lane in position where they could really finish. Uh, although Jeremy Roach had just a, a monster, huge uh, finish in the lane late in this contest. But but for the most part, Roach and Proctor, the times they did get in the lane, there were just too many bodies in there. And they, they weren't able to, uh, you know, Roach had the incredible game against NC State where he just finished again and again and again. And and I, I, I just, you know, he, he really struggled with it in this game. The the four the four assists is just a it's a shameful number. It, it it means that you're not you're not generating good shots out of your offensive flow. All your shots, all your scoring is coming off of guys doing stuff individually. And and you're right. This is not a place that it's not a way that Duke can succeed long term uh, playing offense like this. The other thing I wanted to mention in the bad was 
I thought our bench play, our bench really struggled to make an impact again. We we talked about they had some rebounds and and you know that's that's good, but in, in totality, the bench scores five points for us. Uh, frankly, Jacob Grandison had a, had yet another game where, you know, he almost had a seven trillion in this game. He he missed a, a two point shot. That's the only thing that kept Jacob Grandison from having a seven trillion. That's real. It's it's a it's a big problem, and. Frankly, Jason, his I, Jason, his his attempt was blocked. It wasn't. Oh, even it was. That he oh, that's it. It right. Was I forgot. Oh, it was terrible. He went baseline. Mm-hmm. I don't know where he was. I don't know where he thought he was going on that play. Uh, it was. Just, yeah. yeah, it was bad. It was bad. And and, and I wanted to mention Jareek Whitehead. We can pretty much count on Jareek Whitehead at this point to have at least one horrific, horrible. What the heck was that turnover per game? He he had one again in this game. He had one in the NC State game. And I think I finally, it's now taken me until the 5th of March to get here. I finally resigned myself that we're just not going to ever see the Dariq Whitehead that that was promised, the Dariq Whitehead that I think he can be. And and it sucks. It just, it's such a crime that the injuries have robbed him of the ability to be impactful in any way other than shooting outside three-pointers, which frankly teams have learned they're not going to let him shoot three-pointers very much anymore. Um, he tried a couple times to get the ball in the lane and and do stuff off the dribble, but he's just not there yet. And I don't know that he's ever going to get there, at least not at Duke. I, I know some team's going to end up drafting him and paying him multiple millions of dollars to see if he can get back to the player he was in high school. I'm just, I'm bummed. I just don't think we're ever going to see it at Duke. And, it, and it's a pity. If I were on the coaching staff, and I'm sure they've thought of this because they're smarter than we are, I would have Dariq Whitehead watch game film of A.J. Griffin from last year in the ACC tournament and the NCAA tournament to see what it's going to be like for teams that know exactly what you're going to do and how to power through that. Because A.J. Griffin was far and away our best three-point shooter last year, and there were times where he'd have two, three guys on him on the perimeter because they knew that he was a danger to shoot the ball and make it. How did he fight through that? How did he get his points? How Maybe he'd go to the line. I want, to, I want Dariq Whitehead to learn what AJ Griffin did to be successful in the ACC tournament and the NCAA tournament, because I thought he, for the most part, he was. And I think at the end of the day, he needs to learn how to do that because we're entering the season now where, like you said, Jason, nobody's going to give him an outside shot. No one's going to give him any room. They're going to let him just like we let leaky black shoot 35 footers. We're like, yeah, leaky, go ahead and shoot that. They're going to try and make Tariq Whitehead go to the lane where, you know, people can, bog down on him and force him to take a terrible shot instead of those pop, you know, pop set three pointers that he's been making with regularity or at least consistency throughout the season. So I'm interested to see how he responds to this entering the postseason where every team is going to be like this guy, number zero, don't let him shoot from beyond the arc. All right. You got anything else in the bat? I I, I mean, we, we kind of touched on that. The offensive execution wasn't there. We didn't get much from the bench. What, what else you got? Yeah, I was going to say the one thing I thought we didn't have at the end of the first half was the poise that we had at the end of the game. And it was yeah. a couple of the, the end of the game or the end of the first half goaltend um, where, you know, yes, I, I with Cal Filipowski, I'm like, hey, you're trying to make a play. I appreciate that part of it. But let that ball fall wherever it was. From my angle, it looked like it was falling off the rim. It, it was. Yeah, people, on the replay, you could tell it was falling off the rim. It was falling off. And he just and grabbed. If, he just tipped it away a, a moment too early. Right. And it's one of those things where I'm like, hey, if that's one of the things where those points could cost us a game 
right in in the yeah. postseason. And at this point, it's great that we we got the regular season done with a six game winning streak, but we can't lose anymore because the next, the, I mean, the games we lose now, we're out of tournaments or we're out of the season. So uh, those are the little plays that matter, and those are the details that I want to make sure that we have the same poise at the end of the first half that we do at the end of the game. Yeah. I, by the way, you talking about the end of the first half, and, and you talked a little bit about that weird lineup that Carolina had out there for a little while. I thought Duke could have done a better job of taking advantage of those weird lineups. There were times mm-hmm. that Armando Baycott was out of the game, and Carolina just had. I, I looked out there and I was like, "All right, we, we should be crushing <laughs> this. This next four minutes should be ours. Yeah, right. like, this next three these, minutes. Yeah, th- these guys are on the floor now. We should own them, and we didn't own them quite as much as I would have liked. By the way." For the most part, that that funky lineup, that's kind of a preview of what you're going to see next year from UNC. That's very much what mm-hmm. Carolina's lineup is going to be next year. Uh, they could be in some real trouble. Anyway, all right. So I will say, I, yeah. I will say, I will say real quick, and, and this isn't necessarily bad, but I do need to like point it out. One thing that we talked about was when Derek Lively had three fouls, the decision to leave Derek Lively in the game. And you mentioned when they when UNC had that funky lineup out there, we didn't take advantage of that. When Derek Lively had three fouls and John Shire made the decision not to take him out of the game. UNC exploited that. What did they do? They went right back at Derek Lively. Like a minute later, he picks up his fourth foul, and now we have to take him out of the game, and that changes the dynamic of the game. I think what Duke should have done is say, hey, not necessarily for the Lively part, but when they had that funky lineup, force the coach to make a decision he doesn't want to make. Right? He wanted the funky lineup out there because he wanted to give guys rest and, and try and hold, hope this team treads water until he can get his guys back in. Force the issue. Go right at him. If you score five, five, six points, you force him to call one of his, you know, beloved timeouts. You force him to put somebody back in the game that maybe has three thousand Pete Nance. You force someone who is tired to have to go back in the game, and that's where you can change the dynamic of the game. Yeah, that's a great point. By the way, you mentioning Derek Lively. I, Lively was outstanding down the stretch. He had four fouls down the stretch. Played the final seven or eight minutes with four eight fouls. Minutes, yep. Yeah, and and was just, you know, was affecting everything, even though he wasn't going to pick up another foul. Really great job on that part. All right, let, let's get to our favorite play. Donald, what you got? There were a lot of well, candidates, huh? Yeah, well, you just mentioned it. Uh, so let me set up the scene for you. Um, Mark Mitchell made Sebastian at the 809 mark in the second half. UNC had just gone up four and a three-pointer. He cuts the lead to two. Shire immediately calls a timeout and puts Derek Lively back in the game. We come out of the timeout. We go down to the other end of the floor. Leaky Black misses a three. Lively gets the rebound. We go back down on the Duke side of the floor, run the offense, and it ends with Proctor finding Lively for the alley-oop. Those are, I'm pretty sure those are Derek Lively's only points of the game. Yep. But that dynamic, again, you, you know me. I like the defense turns into offense. But the fact that at that point, Derek Lively being inserted back in the game changed the game for Duke. And it was very evident as soon as we came out of timeout, he made a play on the other end, on the defensive end, came right back down, made an emphatic dunk on the offensive end. And at that point, UNC felt like they were scrambling because even though they went down, it was a tie ball game. They went down and, and made a basket and on the next play. It felt like at that point it was going to be a track beat. And UNC knew that they didn't have the horses to keep up with Duke. And it was because Derek Lively influenced the game that much. He did a lot down the stretch, but that sequence coming in and immediately making an impact with four fouls, that changed the game. I can't believe with all the amazing plays in this game, all the exciting things that happened, that we have the same play of the game. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we have the same play, can I also shout out the fact that Flip had that one where he got the offensive rebound, was surrounded by UNC people, and and took the elevator to the seventh floor and dropped them off at the fifth. 
like uh, for that, that dunk. Yeah, that was one where all of press row was like, "Ooh, yeah." <laughs> it, every, you could hear you could hear people just clacking on their computers. Like, yeah, that was a good play too. Yeah, I, I, so I, I identified both the lively dunk and the play right before it, right before the timeout where Mark Mitchell scored a, a driving bucket in the lane. It, you know, like you said, Carolina had gone up four, and and let's not forget, I mean, Duke had held Carolina kind of at arm's length to some extent throughout the entire contest. And and then Carolina had a little flurry. They tied it up and then they went up by two buckets. And I was in full panic mode. <laughs> I will not lie. I was like, oh, I could see what, you know, it was one of the going to be one of these games where you're like, we're the better team. We're winning this game. And then, oh shit, we're not winning this game. And, mm-hmm. and, and you were going to see, I, I, I I thought Carolina was going to perhaps run away from us at that point. I was really worried about it. And Mitchell gets that bucket. We get a stop. Lively gets the rebound and Lively gets that dunk. And like the, the, uh, the, the panic lifted and calm descended over me. And I was like, Oh no, maybe this team, maybe they've got that, that extra level. Maybe they've got that ability to close down the stretch. And, and then they showed it. Absolutely. But I, yeah, I thought Jason, that was, it Jason. was just a huge moment in the game. So yeah, that's my. It's like part. it's like in the movie, your movie buff. It's like in the movies where there's something panicky that happens. There's always some old dude on the side goes, "Hey, hey, hey, women, it might be okay. It might be okay." That was Lively's dunk. Lively's exactly. dunk was the guy saying, "Hey, it might be okay. We'll we'll, we'll be fine." All right, we got to get to player of the week. I'm really interested in hearing your choice. There's no <laughs> way you're going to be picking the same guy I am. Oh man, so <laughs> this is tough, man. Like, let's just go through it. Like, Flip had a good week. Roach had a good week. Yeah, I mean. Mitchell had a good week. Flipper Roach. How can you not pick? It's got to be Flipper. Lively, Lively had a good week. Proctor had a good week. Even Young had had a good week in in certain stretches. Jason, I'm going to go with Derek Lively because I feel like we don't win either game this week without his efforts and without. And again, even with him out of the game, it it kind of showed that Derek Lively being in a ball game changes a ball game. And and when he got back into the ball game, I just mentioned the favorite play. It, it, he had an immediate impact. Uh, it's it's hard when you look at Flip's you know numbers from this week. You look at Roach's numbers from this week, but I mean Derek Lively had some, some great numbers against NC State. He had the what twelve rebounds uh, against NC State in uh, several blocks. You know points that came when it mattered. But it, I think on the defensive end, we won both of these games with defense, and Derek Lively was the captain that kind of ran the ship. On, at least in the interior on defense. So I'm going to give it to him with all respect to all those other guys I just mentioned who had really good weeks. All right. I, I was sure you're going, to, you're going to take Roach or Filipowski. Uh, <laughs> Flip, by the way, on this week, it, he averaged like almost 14 rebounds per game. He averaged 13 and a half rebounds per game. He averaged like 16 or 17 points per game. And yet I'm going to sit here and I'm going to tell you that my player of the week is Mark Mitchell. Because I, See? in both yeah. games... <laughs> In both games, like Mark Mitchell doesn't flip gets 14 rebounds. Mark Mitchell gets the rebound that you're like, that was the most important rebound of the game. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he did it in both these contests, in both the games he scored in double figures. He's not someone that Duke looks to on offense a lot, but he 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 is still a threat and he is someone who gets timely buckets. And and his defense, uh, I thought his defense was outstanding in both of these games. His defense was outstanding, not just the guy he's guarding, the guys he gets switched onto the guys he gives help defense onto. It seems kind of crazy. I, I, I'm sitting here being like, how the hell are we picking anyone but Tom Filipowski for player of the week? But I'm going with Mark Mitchell. Yeah. And Jason, John said that 
John Shire said that the uh, two rebounds he got at the end of the game were the two best plays of the season for Duke. And I know uh, we've had a, yeah. a season of plays. He said those were the two most important plays this season so far for Duke and because they were so important. They were the most important plays of the game. Yeah, it, it's it, it's I know it's difficult for us, especially with Flip every week. We have that like we could fall back on him. We could go, oh, well, yeah. Flip had, you know, yeah. at 40 and 20. So, yeah, we can just fall back <laughs> on him. But it, it, it's no disrespect to them. They had a great week, but I'm glad that you singled out Mark Mitchell as well because I thought, again, his presence on the floor may not be the most notable. It's not where people are checking for him, but if you're looking at Mark Mitchell and you look at the stat line, you see he's got 10 points. The other team is probably like, damn, we let we even let this guy get 10 points because that's how they look at this. At Mark Mitchell is that guy. They don't look at him like a, a focal point of the offense, but for him – he brings so much to the table that that's why he started every single game this season for Duke. He's that indispensable. By the way, against Carolina, Mark Mitchell plays 38 minutes. <laughs> he played the most of anybody. <laughs> most of anybody. Yeah, 38 minutes is just, that shows you how important he is to everything that's happening for this team. And I love that John Shire recognized the same thing I did, which is that Mark Mitchell's rebounds were huge this week. I mean, just uh-huh. monster rebounds. All right, that's going to wrap it up for us in this episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast, a Defeat Carolina episode. Always, always some of my favorites. Go back to the archives, folks. Find the other times Duke has beaten UNC and listen to us celebrate. It is a ton of fun. Jason, before we go, I, I think we need to like update the, the viewers or the listeners out there because I know we've gotten some questions. I know we've mentioned the fact that we've been undergoing this transition with SB Nation, and yes. I know we made a brief update a week ago, but just to keep people in the loop, uh, as you guys know, it's March 5th. We were supposed to have done this transition on March 1st, um, and it was it's nothing that we have done here on the podcast. It is, has everything to do, unfortunately, with uh, the overlords of SB Nation not getting all their you know T's crossed and, and their eyes dotted. The ducks in a row, the transition. Baby. Yeah, the ducks so are not in a row. <laughs> we, they're not in a row. So we were we were ready to make the transition on March first, but they were not ready for us to leave. So uh, we have a, basically a stay right now for an, another month while they get all those things sorted out, and then we'll be moving platforms. The great thing is that your feed will not change no matter what happens. The name change will happen as soon as it is made official, and we will let people know when that happens. We thank everyone who submitted uh, some ideas for us, and I think we've all, we, the three of us have narrowed down on what we will change our name to, uh, but we just don't have to do it yet. So for at least for March, which is great for us, the Duke Basketball Report podcast will be your go-to source for Duke basketball throughout the greatest month of the year. Exactly. And by the way, I'm sure everyone's like, wait a second. Aren't you going to talk about the ACC tournament? Look, we will have a, it may be a DBR bites. It may just be a regular DBR episode, probably a regular DBR episode. Probably will hit your feed in the next 24 hours. That will be uh, the three of us getting together, talking about the ACC tournament, a, a, you know, a big, big week coming up for the blue devils. We will start play on Thursday, uh, probably against the Pitt Panthers, but we're going to get to all the details about that coming up in the next few days until then. He is Donald. I am Jason. Sam is working off a hangover or something like that. (laughs) And here is the Duke band to play us out and take us home. Go to hell, Carolina. Go to hell. Actually, you know, someone sent us a, a headline 
I probably should have had it. They said, go to NIT, Carolina, go to NIT. <laughs> That's a pretty good one too. I should have mentioned that one earlier. <laughs> Leave that, put that in the outtakes. We're good. There we go. 